Uh, but getting back to today, uh, we're jumping back into Mark. Uh, if you've been around for a while, you'll know we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark for the majority of this year. Uh, we're reading together through Mark through our reading plans. We're doing Mark in our city groups, in Institute. It's all about Mark this year. And uh, I'm really, really excited about that. And so this is the second series within uh, Mark. And this series is called Kingdom Now. Uh, so much about this gospel is about the kingdom and Jesus proclaiming that the kingdom isn't far away. It's right now. It's right here. And so the series is called Kingdom Now. Uh, it's going to take us all the way up until Easter. And now that might sound like a long way away, but it's not actually that long. We'll be there shortly. Uh, but I think this is going to be an awesome series to take us into Easter 2024. Uh, as you've probably picked up, if you've been tracking with us in Mark, uh, Mark is all about action. Uh, everybody say Action. This is Mark. He loves action. He loves the urgency. He loves the fast-pacedness uh, in the way that he wrote. He's all about not wasting time. Mark is saying time is of the essence. There's urgency in the hour. And that's the, that's the part of the gospel and the message that's needing to be proclaimed and needing to be taught. Is it, it, there's an urgency behind it, and Mark writes in that fashion. As we enter into this 2024 theme of tell the world, I think we can so resonate with how Mark writes. We can resonate with the action, with the urgency that Mark's trying to deliver to us over here that we are called to declare and share the good news of Jesus from far and wide to all the corners of the earth. And so I think we're going to resonate well with Mark through this theme as well. A couple of interesting facts about Mark that, that I enjoy. The first one is to say that the word immediately is used over 40 times in the Gospel of Mark, which is actually the shortest of all the Gospels, uh, and it's used several times in the passage that we're going to be reading today. And so I don't know if Mark just, if they hadn't invented thesauruses back in those days, but the word immediately it's actually intentional. He wants to use it. Uh, and so we're going to be giving out cash prizes for whoever can count how many times the word immediately comes out of my lips today. It's going to be a lot. Actually, Alison up in the booth did count at the 8 a.m. gathering, so she's got her answer. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's so much about what Mark is trying to communicate. It's also interesting that Mark records 27 out of the 37 miracles that take place in the Gospels. Uh, he often records them in rapid succession to each other, uh, really wanting to um, create space for these miracles much more than any of the other Gospel writers. And you might be wondering why that is. It's the same reason. He wants to put the emphasis on action, right? He's intent on showing us a side of Jesus that's not just about words, but it's equally about action. That Jesus was actually both words and action the entire time. And so uh, the, these are just some of the things that Mark has employed in his writing to help communicate that. And so for Mark and for us, there's an urgency in the hour. There's good news to be shared. And so the provocation, even for us right now at the top end of this preach, if, is there is urgency in your hour because there is good news to be shared. And so the question I'm asking you right now, how are you sharing this good news? Uh, it's something worthwhile writing down as you take notes this morning. How are you doing it? Hello, Impact Africa here in the front row. Can we welcome Impact Africa here in the front row? We love these guys. These are literally missionaries who have come from the other side of the world to share the good news of Jesus here in South Africa. How awesome is that? And so how are you doing it? I love you guys. Thank you so much for all that you do. How is every single one of us doing it in our day-to-day -day lives? And this mandate is not only for the professional Christians. Amen, Impact Africa. Uh, it's not just for the pastors or it's not just for your city group leaders. The mandate to share the good news of Jesus is for every single one of us. And we need to take that super seriously. It's actually interesting if we read through Mark, it's often not 
who we would think is maybe the professionals in the stories, the disciples. It's not actually always the disciples who are the most front-footed, the first ones to go out and share the good news. In actual fact, it's sometimes the other characters in these accounts, you know, the ones who get healed, the ones that get demons cast out of them. They're the ones that are front-footed and going out to tell the world because it's happened to them. Uh, the disciples we'll see throughout the gospel are sometimes a bit slower. Sometimes they're a bit confused. They're not always as fast to understand what Jesus is trying to say. And so what it's showing us is it's you and me. We're the ones who receive this from God and go out and share it. And so that's a little bit about how, how Mark is uh, resonating with us in our theme of Tell the World. Uh, if you're with us in January in the first series that we did in the Gospel of Mark, uh, we found out about Jesus, the Son of God coming to earth to bring the kingdom of God here. We see Jesus, he actually doesn't start his ministry publicly. He goes into the wilderness. Vaughn preached about Jesus in the wilderness. He gets baptized in the wilderness. And then he comes out with a very clear message to be shared that the kingdom is now. All right, though his words, through his words and through his actions, he was very intense on calling people, saying, come, return, move away from your old lives, follow me. He had the courage to say, follow me. We need to turn away and follow uh, me into this kingdom that I want to talk to you about. Two uh, weeks ago, Duncan preached about four of the earliest disciples did just that. We found rough, calloused, professional fishermen. Jesus says, follow me. They drop their nets, they drop their jobs, they drop their everything, their whole lives, and they follow Jesus immediately, all right? Everyone say immediately. It's important. They followed him immediately. And so within those 20 short verses that we've only gone through so far, we see Jesus come to earth from the Father to establish God's kingdom, to announce that the kingdom is now and having the unashamed boldness to call people to say, follow me into this kingdom. Now, Mark and Jesus, neither of them actually come right out and say what the kingdom is. So he's out here preaching about the kingdom. He doesn't actually say what the kingdom is. In fact, what Jesus rather does is he demonstrates what the kingdom is. And through these verses, through the scriptures, we're going to see Jesus demonstrating what does he mean by this? What is the kingdom? He's going to show us through his actions. And so Jesus comes. You can imagine that this arrival of Jesus... Um, into his ministry was actually uh, quite a big disruption to the existing authorities of the day. So there was an existing religious authority uh, that existed in the, in the first place to the Jews. It was called the Pharisees and the scribes. I'll tell you a little bit about them, more about them in a minute. Uh, they had a certain amount of power over the people, uh, but people's obedience to this religious authority was always motivated out of fear. And so that's where they found themselves, motivated to obey through fear. But then Jesus comes onto the scene, and there's this monumental difference between the authority that Jesus shows and the authority uh, that the existing authority showed. The authority of Jesus was no ordinary authority. His authority was absolute. The, the, the gospel says over and over again, it was astonishing. People were astonished. They were amazed. It was something new. It was something that they had never, ever seen before. This authority that Jesus brought was unparalleled. And so what happens is when he comes and speaks and acts in this authority, what happens? People pay attention. People are astonished and amazed, and they actually pay attention to what Jesus is communicating. And today, as we look through today's section, we're going to see how this collision of the kingdom of God with the existing structures that were in place actually shows us 
what the kingdom of God is all about. And it's a really exciting place to be in the gospel. And so we're going to jump into it. It's the last section uh, of chapter 1. Actually, it's the last 20 or so verses of chapter 1. Uh, and in these verses, uh, Mark gives us the snapshot into just 24 hours in the life of Jesus. So he started his public ministry, and these are literally the first 24 hours uh, in Jesus' public ministry. So it's anything but ordinary, and so you can follow along. We're going to read a chunk of the passage now. You can follow along behind me or on your own Bibles. But it says, verse 21, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Then it says, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as like with the scribes. 23, uh, immediately, there's one, uh, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, in other words, a demon. And so it says, he cried out and says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him uh, and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And then it goes on to say, they were all amazed. And pay attention here. They were questioning amongst themselves, saying, what is this? A new teacher teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. It continues and says, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And he immediately left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Mark, Andrew with James and John. Verse 30, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And what happened? The fever left her, and she began to serve them. Verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Is that where it ends? That's where it ends for now. And so we, saw, we find Jesus in this account, and he's with Simon, Andrew, James, and John in Capernaum. Uh, it's a strange name. Everyone say Capernaum. It's a fishing village, basically. It's on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I think there's a slide showing uh, where it is. You can actually still see the ruins and the original foundations to this day. If you go, you can actually see that. Uh, it's still standing over there. It was quite a big city, uh, probably about 10,000 people in the city, and it lay along a major trading route. And Capernaum is actually super important to the Gospels uh, because so much of Jesus' ministry takes place here. Uh, he was, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. But as he starts out his public ministry, he starts here uh, in this town. And so it's, a, a very, it's, a, it's his home base, actually. So it's super important uh, to the Gospels. And because of the size of the city, there was a major synagogue in that city, as there would have been. And so there would have been weekly gatherings that took place in the synagogue, and Jesus would have been invited to preach uh, at these gatherings. So here we are. We find Jesus with the boys. They're entering into the synagogue for Jesus to preach. Uh, now, 
uh, Mark doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus preached, but we can figure out what Jesus would have preached because we've been able to read the full gospel that he wanted to preach and proclaim that the kingdom is here to turn and repent and to follow me. And so Jesus would have been preaching like that. And we definitely know what the people's response was, as always, shock and amazement and astonishment at these words that were coming out of Jesus' mouth. They had never heard anything like this before. They were amazed by it. What was so astonishing? Why were they so astonished? I think what Mark's wanted to highlight for us over here is what they are so astonished about in every time Jesus speaks and acts is his authority. This was a very different type of authority than they would have ever been experienced uh, or, or been exposed to before. And Mark's highlighting that for us. Uh, the authority of Jesus is demonstrated in these verses, but it's so different. Because the reason that it's so different is that the authority that Jesus demonstrated was an authority in himself. It was an authority that he was speaking as someone who, who was speaking straight from the Father heart of God. And so he came and he spoke and he acted in an authority that he had in himself. Nobody ever up until that point would have had that type of authority that they are speaking directly from God. And how many of you know nobody since has that type of, had that type of authority? It's only Jesus, the Son of God, who has that type of authority. But this is what caused such astonishment uh, with the people. The Pharisees and the scribes didn't have that type of authority. Only Jesus did. And so I think while people were used to having a certain authority, they definitely weren't used to this. Because the difference in the authority of Jesus, I think, is being so clearly displayed in two ways. It's been displayed not only in the words that Jesus is speaking, but in the actions that accompanied his words. You see, Jesus was somebody, and Mark wants to point this out to us, that wasn't just all about the words. He was very much about the action. And so the two were always coupled together. What Jesus said, what Jesus did were always coupled together. And so they matched. And that was a great authority that people saw in it. Uh, and so I think there's two sides, there's the words and there's the actions, and then there's a secret ingredient around this authority that Jesus had, and I'm going to get to that towards the end. Uh, but for now, let's look at these two sides of the authority. Uh, in verse 21, it says that they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So number one, the first side of Jesus' authority that we see is his words. Point number one, his words. You see, Jesus' teaching was different. Jesus taught about grace, while the Pharisees and the scribes taught about works. The Pharisees, they were, so they were a religious sect. They considered themselves separate from the people. They considered the people to be unclean. And so please note that also Jesus would always clash with the Pharisees. The two would always clash. They would never see eye to eye because uh, they were all about rules and regulations. But Jesus bursts onto the scene and he's got a different message. He's got a message of love and truth and grace and mercy and justice. It's just all new kingdom language that people had never heard. And he delivers his message so differently. He delivers this message with authority and he delivers this message with power. Uh, and so there's just this dramatic stark contrast between the Pharisees compared to what Jesus taught. You see, Jesus spoke truth. Jesus spoke about life and death and eternity. Jesus spoke as somebody who actually loved people, who cared about their lives right now, but more importantly, cared about their lives for all of eternity. This was something new as well. And Jesus spoke to the heart, 
and he communicated the heart of God to the people. It was just completely different to what they had been experiencing before. And, and that is why people were absolutely blown away. You see, in this collision with the existing structures, Jesus speaks blessing and truth and hope and peace. He actually brings the gospel. He brings this kingdom language, and people are blown away. They're so moved by it that they're not just convicted physically, but they're moved and convicted in their souls. Amen? How many of you know that there's no one else, there's no other king, there's no other kingdom that can move our souls except Jesus? And so he moved people's souls through the kingdom that he was proclaiming. And how many of you know that that is exactly what happens to us? For those of you who have accepted Jesus, who are following Jesus, you're saved. How many of you know that that is exactly what happens to us when we get saved? We're blown away at this amazing grace that Jesus gives us for free. Amen? We blown, our souls are moved. There's no one else that could have ever done that for us but Jesus. He moves our souls at that moment of salvation. And so we, we discover this new kingdom of grace and love and acceptance. And when we enter into that kingdom, we can't help ourselves. We run and we tell everybody that will listen to us what Jesus has done for us. Amen? I don't know how many of you can remember the moment of salvation when this amazing grace moved your soul. You could not keep that to yourself. You would run and you would tell anybody who would listen to you what Jesus has done. And man, we can't ever let that get old in our lives. Amen. Let's never let salvation get old or stale in our lives. Let's continue to run and tell anybody who will listen. There's a line from a song that they did at youth conference. I heard last year at youth conference that I, I love. It says, this is the gospel. This is the good news. Remember this. Tell everybody how he saved you. Tell everybody there's a God who loves you. And that is the mandate on our lives. So Jesus is different. He comes not only to teach the scriptures, but he comes to proclaim to declare the good news. And he's saying that the time has come. The kingdom is now. It's not somewhere in the distance. The kingdom is now. And so he calls people to repent and turn. And, and he, he has the courage to say, follow me, as he preaches about this new kingdom. And so it's this great authority that people are astonished. And immediately they turn and they follow Jesus. And so that's the one side of it. It was Jesus' words He's proclaiming, he's declaring that we're just astonishing to people. This announcing of the kingdom uh, was amazing for people to hear about. But Jesus would always couple his words with action. The two would always go hand in hand. You see, he'd couple it with works and he'd couple it with wonders and he'd couple it with miracles that we see over and over and over in Mark. That's why Mark's so intent on including all these miracles because the miracles that he performed were always a support to the preaching that he did. The two always go hand in hand. And so the second way today on your notes that we see Jesus' authority is his works and wonders. Works and wonders. Actually, when we look at these verses, uh, we see two sides of Jesus' authority when it comes to his healing. Uh, first of all, we see that Jesus has authority over invisible forces. Uh, this must have been quite a day in the synagogue, right? So Jesus comes, he gets there, he's preaching, people are astonished at what he's saying, they're blown away by it, they're in, in huge astonishment, uh, and then out of nowhere, a demon rears its ugly head from the back and causes a massive distraction to the whole gathering. <laughs> Listen, thank goodness that has never happened to me before when I've been preaching. Uh, I don't know if it's happened to anybody else. I think that must be a preacher's worst nightmare. You're preaching and people are being changed and then a demon pops out of the back and... Uh, 
yeah, listen, uh, I think it must be the ultimate disruption <laughs> to a preach. But this happens while Jesus is busy over there. And I think it's so interesting because the demon comes out and recognizes the authority of Jesus. This demon even recognizes the authority of Jesus. And it's interesting that this demon asks, what do you want from us? He didn't just say, what do you want from me, one demon? Because this demon knows that Jesus came to conquer not only one demon, but Jesus came to conquer all demons. Amen. Even that demon knows. So he says, what do you want from us? And Jesus again shows in this moment his absolute authority in this. And he commands this demon to be quiet. A lot of commentators on this say it's actually more like Jesus said, shut up to the demon. Now, my wife, Taryn, that's one of her worst phrases. She hates the word, you know, shut up. But, but people say that's how hectic it would have been. Jesus tells this demon, shut up. You've got no place here. Amen. And, and this demon listens immediately as this happens. Uh, and, and leave. So it says that he leaves the body um, and the crowd looks on in astonishment. But what's happening over here is Jesus is demonstrating that his kingdom that he is proclaiming is a kingdom of light. And the kingdom of light will always be greater than the kingdom of darkness. Amen. And he's demonstrating that over here, that his kingdom has overcome the darkness. This was the ministry of Jesus. This was the ministry of Jesus's authority. This demon knew Jesus. He was afraid of Jesus, and he obeyed Jesus. And Jesus even had authority over what Mark calls an unclean spirit. I think an interesting side note over here is that there's a bit of irony within the story, that even those gathered, it says, were talking amongst themselves and questioning Jesus and, and, and asking, is this the real deal? What is he saying? Even the demon came out and immediately knew who Jesus was and the authority of Jesus. And, and so if even a demon knows the authority of Jesus, how much more should we, amen? That Jesus has this power and this authority. Even the demons know that. Do demons still exist to this day? Is there still demonic activity? I believe that there is. I believe that there is always a spiritual warfare going on. How many of you know that Satan hates seeing the church advance? He hates seeing the kingdom advance. Satan hates that. So there'll always be the spiritual warfare going on between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. But I want to let you know this morning again that although Satan is an enemy, he's a defeated enemy. Amen? He's been defeated. Once we are saved, Satan has no authority over us. And we have no reason to be afraid. We have no reason to be afraid of Satan. And we have no reason to be afraid of his, his attacks. We're saved. We covered by the blood of Jesus. That's part of the good news of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of light is greater than the kingdom of darkness. It prevails over darkness. And how many of you know that, know that we live in a world that needs to hear this? We live in a world that feels dark and is dark. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, tell the world, they want to hear that there is a kingdom of light that overcomes the kingdom of darkness. Amen. And you and I are the ones who are going to declare and proclaim that. I can guarantee you right now, there's someone in your world, there's someone in your life that's feeling overcome with the kingdom of darkness. And it is up to you to preach and proclaim and declare, no, no, there's a kingdom of light that prevails and conquers and is greater. Amen. So, people's response to this episode <laughs> is even more amazement. I mean, I don't know, this whole day in the synagogue, they were just sitting with their jaws dropped to the ground like this. Like, what is going on? 
Because not only does Jesus give the authority in his teaching, he demonstrates it even in his authority over the demonic world. And then Mark says to us that news about Jesus, of course, spread very quickly from there. There's not so ordinary day in the synagogue. It's no wonder why news spreads super quickly. So Jesus has authority even over the demonic world. Second of all, Jesus has authority over natural sickness. And I think this is something awesome for us to take note of today. Uh, in typical Mark fashion, uh, he continues to tell us. So he follows Mark straight out of the synagogue. He tracks, uh, sorry, he tracks Jesus uh, on the same day, leaving the synagogue. And Jesus is now going off to Simon and Andrew's house, uh, where it tells us that Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed sick. So mother-in-laws, right? I, I didn't say anything. I don't know why you're laughing. Mother-in-laws. How many of you have a mother-in-law? Let's just see by show of hands. Yes. How, just keep your hands up nice and high. How many of you love your mother-in-laws? I'm just seeing, I'm just seeing, I'm just seeing. <laughs> yeah, okay, you can put your hands down. We don't want to be lying in church this morning. I've got a great mother-in-law, Taryn's mom. I love her. We're good friends. We have no issues with each other. I'm saying it because potentially she could be watching the 10 a.m. stream. We don't know. <laughs> but I love her. Uh, but mother-in-laws in general, like they don't always get the greatest rap. Uh, Taryn actually sent me a little list of things I could add to this after the 8 a.m. preach, that mother-in-laws can be stubborn. I don't know if she's talking about my mother. I don't know. So I don't know if Simon here in this story cared that much about the mother-in-law lying in bed sick for a few days. You know, she's got a bit of a fever. Maybe Simon was like, Jesus, don't worry about it. Like, leave, leave her a few more days. It's all right. She deserves it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but not Jesus. That's not Jesus, amen. Jesus goes straight immediately to this house. And in this moment, we see actually a very different side of Jesus' authority. And I think it's so awesome. You see, we've seen Jesus preaching powerfully. We've seen him casting out the demon uh, and healing people. And so there's this kind of like powerful side of his authority. But now we see a gentle and compassionate side of his authority come out at the same time. And I think the two of these is what it makes Jesus so amazing. He goes straight to her and it says he immediately heals her. Immediately he heals her. And I think that Mark is careful to point out here that Jesus takes her by the hand. Now for Mark who doesn't actually use a lot of words you know that what words he does use are important. They're there for a reason. And so for him to include Jesus took her by the hand is important because it's showing a gentleness, it's showing a compassionate side of Jesus's actual authority. It's also awesome that it says that he heals her completely because it says there was no recovery time needed. It says she got up immediately and started serving them. Now, I don't know if my mother-in-law would get up from her, her sick bed and immediately start serving us. I think she'd be like, now nah, you know where the coffee is, you guys can sort yourself out, right? But this mother-in-law got up, immediately healed, no recovery needed, and, and started to serve them. And we see that time and time again through the Gospels, is that when Jesus heals, he heals completely. Maybe that's an encouragement for someone in the room this morning, that when Jesus heals, he heals completely. Amen. He has complete authority over sickness. He has complete authority over disease. And so I just love that this encounter is included, that this compassionate side of Jesus is included because it shows us the heart that Jesus has for the one. 
you know, we see Jesus with crowds all the time. We see him preaching to crowds. We see him doing miracles with crowds. We even see him feeding the 5,000 with, you know, crowds. But this is just something different because it also shows us that Jesus is concerned for the one. He's concerned for you. He's concerned for your needs. He's concerned for your sickness. Maybe this morning you feel that Jesus hasn't been concerned for you and for your situation and for your sickness maybe. I want to be the one to remind you this morning that he is, that he has compassion for the one, that even in a room this size, he sees every single one of us this morning. He knows every single one of our needs this morning. And he cares deeply about us. He cares and he has compassion for every single one of us. Amen. So this is the day of Jesus' life, as if that wasn't enough for his day. Mark tells us then that what happened, the whole city gathered at the door of this house and that uh, he went and continued to cast out more demons and heal more people into the night. And so quite a day. It ends with uh, Jesus continuing to heal and show action and do miracles. And it shows us once again Jesus' authority demonstrated in his words and also in his actions. So those are the two sides of his authority that we see. But there's something else that Mark wants to tell us in this, and I think that this is uh, probably the most important side of it, is that there was actually a source of Jesus's authority. I think this is so important for us. If we continue to read in verse 35, it says, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And then it says, Simon and those who were uh, with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And then he says to them, let's go to the next towns that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And so the third aspect of Jesus' authority that I want to speak about this morning is his way. Point number three, his way. You see, after this day in the life of Jesus, he had only been in the city for 24 hours. He's preaching, he's casting out the demon, he's healing the mother-in-law, then he's doing more uh, healing, more casting out of demons with the whole city gathering. He goes to sleep. What does Jesus do the next morning? Do you think he sleeps in the next morning? How many of you would have thought that's fair? Jesus should sleep in the next morning. Amen. He could have either done that or, on the other hand, he could have woken up and been almost overcome with the pressure of the whole city on his doorstep, more people needing healing, and just got out of bed, wiped his eyes, and gone forward with more healing. I think those are, the, as humans, are the two things that we probably would have done. But Jesus shows us something different. It says he gets up very early while it is still dark and finds a quiet private spot, and he prays to his Father in heaven. Isn't that so awesome? Isn't that something for us to take notice of today? That in the midst of this incredible ministry of Jesus, he takes this time to be with his father. I love this quote that I found that says, what was the secret of Jesus' ministry? He prayerfully waited for his father's instructions. Jesus had no divinely drawn blueprint or schedule. He discerned the father's will day by day in a life of prayer. Because of this, he was able to resist the urgent demands of others and do what was really important for his mission. 
Amen. Jesus knew the important over the urgent. Amen. How many of us get this wrong? How many of us rush from one urgent thing to the next urgent thing to the following urgent thing, and by the time we get to the end of the day, we've forgotten what was actually important? We actually tend to prioritize the urgent over the important. But Jesus is reminding us in this moment, no, 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 it's the other way around. You have to prioritize the important over the urgent because you'll be overcome by the urgent. So Jesus knew that in this time when he took time out in a dark place, a quiet place where it was just him and his father, he knew in that place that he would be refreshed and he would be revitalized in this time of communion with just him and his father. But it's not only that he would receive refreshment in that time. I think what's so pivotal over here is that he received clarity of mind in that time alone with his father. Just give me a wave if you ever feel that you need clarity of mind in your life. Is it just me? Jesus receives clarity. You see, Simon is a you know, typical human. He comes rushing to find Jesus. Where the heck is Jesus? He's nowhere to be found. And then he's like, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. There's 10,000 people waiting for you. And Jesus had received his time of refreshment and his time of clarity in this moment. And what does he say? He says, no, no, let's go to the next town. He heard from his father in that moment clarity on what to do next. And God wants to give us that clarity. You know, many of us uh, spent this last week in our week of prayer and fasting, and thank you so much. It was awesome to do that together as a church this week, to be in prayer and fasting. And I think God spoke to us deeply in that week. Thank you, everyone who came out on Wednesday night for an awesome time to pray together on Wednesday night. It was so good. Uh, incidentally, if any of you have anything that you'd love to share with us uh, that God spoke to you about, that you think we'd love to hear about, please do. I'd love to hear how God spoke and moved in your life over the, uh, the course of this week. But I think what it reminded us of is that God does speak to us in a special way, amen, when we take the sort of priority, when we put this priority in place to be in communion with our Father. He speaks to us in a special way. I think this week also reminded me how easily the days and the weeks can run away from us without us giving the priority that God desperately desires from us and deserves from us, right? Days and weeks and even months can run away before you realize, I haven't prioritized Jesus. I haven't prioritized that quiet time that just me and the Father and hearing from God and being refreshed by Him. And it reminds us of that. And how many of you know if Jesus had this type of priority in place, how much more do we, Right? How much more do we need to have this priority in place if even Jesus needed to in his ministry? As we start to wrap up this morning, um, and I can invite the band to join me on stage, uh, the story actually ends with another incredible encounter. It's the cleansing of a leper. We can read together from verse 40. Mark tells us, A leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Verse 41 says, Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And so leprosy in that day was no small thing. It wasn't just like having the flu. Leprosy was a terrible disease. In fact, leprosy was a disease that would become in every negative way part of a person's identity. It was awful to have leprosy. Uh, they would be forced to live in isolation, uh, outside of community. 
If they were seen on the streets, people would shout, leper, leper, or they'd shout, unclean, unclean, to, to warn people, stay away. Here comes someone with leprosy. It was even seen as a death sentence. It robbed these people of everything that they had going in their lives. Sometimes people even thought of leprosy as punishment from God, let alone the physical pain that they would have endured and suffered through for the rest of their life. It was a terrible disease. And so for someone who's got leprosy, to come running to find Jesus, to make his way through a crowd who would want to shout that people must move away from him, and to ask Jesus to heal him, would have taken an enormous amount of courage, you can imagine. It would have taken a huge amount of courage in this guy. But not only courage, but it would have taken an enormous amount of faith because this guy says to Jesus, if you will, you can heal me. He knew that Jesus could heal him, and he asks for this healing. And Jesus' reaction is awesome because it says to us, he was moved with pity. Amen. Again, we see Jesus showing compassion to this leper like he did with the mother-in-law. He doesn't just say he will heal him. He actually heals him. He performs a miracle and heals this man. And again, Mark takes the words to tell us once again that as he shows this man compassion, he, what, he takes him by the hand once again. Mark is so intent on wanting to show us the compassionate side of Jesus even in this story. And so this leper's life has been completely changed. This, this man's entire life for the rest of his life was changed by Jesus in this moment. And so what does he do? He runs away and he's overwhelmed with joy to go and tell the world, this is what Jesus has done for me. He can't contain himself. He runs and tells everybody who will hear, this is what Jesus has done for me. The outcast has been healed. The outcast has been restored. How awesome is that encounter with Jesus? It's amazing. But when you think about it, do you know that that leper is us? That you and me are the leper. We were the ones who were outcast. We were the ones who were out of community with God. We were out of community with God's people. And now we've been touched by Jesus. We've been changed by Him. Jesus gives us His hand and He lifts us up and He heals us and He restores us. But for this to happen, Jesus had to take our place. Amen. Because of sin, we were destined to live in spiritual isolation. But now we are made new. Once we had no hope, like the leper, but now we have eternal hope in Jesus. What a beautiful message. And for those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, who follow Jesus with our lives, the joy of seeing this restoration to Jesus should lead us to be like that leper. It should lead us to run and declare the good news and tell everybody who will listen to us that there is a God who loves you, that there's a God who saves you. That should be our posture to share this good news of Jesus. You know, this past week after Vision Sunday when we spoke about tell the world, somebody sent me a photo from their home and they've got a whiteboard up in their house where they've written down goals for the year and things like that. And right across the middle of, the, of their board in big red letters, they wrote, tell the world. That is something they're going to see every single day when they wake up. Tell the world. And that should be an encouragement to you and me. If Jesus has saved you, how are you telling the world? 
again, I want to say, let's never let that get old. Let's never let that get stale in our lives. That we have good news to share. That there's a God who loves us. That there's a God who saves us. So this morning, if you take your notes, write it down. How am I telling the world about this good news? It's awesome. For those of you who might be in the room this morning or watching online who don't yet know Jesus, maybe you don't know Jesus, but I want to say to you this morning that Jesus loves you, that Jesus is calling you, that Jesus desires relationship with you. And I promise you right now there's good news for you, that there's a kingdom of light that includes you. And so this morning, we're going to go into a time of more worship. I pray that as we do that, God speaks to all of our hearts, that He ministers into all of our hearts, and He stirs us to be a people who love Him and share His good news with the world. Amen. Let's stand up together as we worship again. Thank you, band.